Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and joining me today on the show is Brett Davern from the Believe in Seahawks podcast. I had his co-host Lofa Tatupu on the show last week, and I wanted to get the other half of the tandem on the show. So you might know him from playing Jake on the TV series Awkward that was on MTV from 2011 to 2016. And uh, maybe more likely that you know him from the Believe in Seahawks podcast because, you know, Lofa Tatupu, he's a big deal. Brett's a big deal co-hosting the show with him. And so (laughs) I'm happy to have Brett on the show. Welcome to the show, Brett. Hey, thanks. What's up? I've never been introduced as a big deal before, so <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> hey, man, I you know, I don't know how many people I've had an opportunity to interview that have also been on TV or you know, I, I think back of the one guy who I've had on who's a Seahawks fan and who's been in movies, and that was Zach Galligan, uh, the guy who played in the the Billy and the Gremlins. And so I, I feel like you're like the other TV guy that I've really talked to over these years. I'll take it. I'll take it. There's there's a lot of Seahawks fans down here. Uh, in Hollywood, uh, you know Chris Pratt and Rain Wilson, and and all. Uh, there's uh, Joel McHale. You know, there's a lot of Seahawks fans. Yeah, if I can get those guys on next, then then I'm all for it. Yeah, man. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm happy if I'm the bridge between uh, those names for sure. But uh, it's cool because the Seahawks are such a cool team, man. They're just so much fun to root for. You know, I grew up there, born and raised my whole life, and moved to New York at 19 to pursue acting and stuff. But I'm still a Seattle kid through and through, and I, I would never wear any gear from any team that's not from Seattle or anything. I'm very loyal to all the teams, uh, including the Sonics, which we'll get back someday. But, you know, it's cool to be down here and be surrounded by a lot more Seahawks fans. So, or a lot of Seahawks fans, I should say. So, so what was kind of your first experience with the Seahawks growing up then? Oh, man. Well, a lot of losing, you know, <laughs> right. a lot, a lot of losing and only Steve Largent. And uh, that's pretty much it, you know, (laughs) a little, I remember Kurt Warner a little bit, uh, the running back, not Uh the quarterback. Yeah, the the real Kurt Warner, as Seahawks fans need to refer to him as. (laughs) Yeah, the actual Kurt Warner, right. Um, A a little bit, you know, and I remember uh, guys like uh, Bobby Joe Edmonds and um, uh, Jim Zorn even, like my dad and his buddies talking about them, but not really so much watching them play or anything just kind of growing up being familiar with those names um i do remember going to my first seahawk game it was in the kingdom i think it was maybe 89 or 90 something in there they were playing the chargers uh back when the seahawks were still in the afc west of course and i just remember it being amazing in there and it being so loud and the how green that horrible astroturf was but, but you know, they, they come out in the silver helmets and, and what's not to love? Uh, it was, you know, just uh, – it, it was really, really cool. My first football game I've ever been to. And uh, I was just, you know, been a fan ever since. And my whole family is fans and my mom wears blue every Friday. And, I mean, we're a Seahawk family through and through, so – yeah, it's funny. You bring up the kingdom and that how noisy it was there. I always like to tell people, you know, everybody gives Seattle fans a hard time. They say, oh, you engineered your stadium to make it noisy. And I have to remind those people saying that, hey, if you've ever been to a game in the kingdom, it was so loud in that stadium. And so now we've taken off the entire middle section of the roof and it's still loud. So, you know, don't give me the garbage about how CenturyLink is engineered to to make fan noise louder. Yeah, I don't I don't want to hear about it from any fan base. I don't care who they root for, whether it's the uh, Chiefs trying to always re-break the sound record or, you know, the down in Baton Rouge, LSU fans talk about how loud they are or whatever. I don't want to hear about it. Seattle fans of all kinds are the loudest fans of any 
sports town ever. And it doesn't, it's not just the Seahawks. I, I remember, you know, as a kid when the Seahawks were not great going to Husky games and Husky stadium is shaking all the time too, you know? And, and when the Sonics were good, um, through the mid nineties with Kemp and Peyton, like they were raising the roof all the time. A key arena was rocking. I mean, Seattle sports fans are just rabid and loud and always have been and always will be. And, and to root for a team that has retired a jersey on behalf of the fans, I mean, it's just, it's just cool. The relationship with the fans and the city and the sports, uh, it all just goes hand in hand. It's so easy to root for teams from Seattle, and I'm happy to, to be from there and, and root for those teams. Well, I already like where this is going, Brett, because this is underdog week at SB Nation. Okay. And so I, I we're going to get into a lot of the and I feel like Seattle just kind of fits that underdog role very well, especially, you know, with your history going back to to some of those losing seasons, too. So you, sure. you have those memories uh, before we get there, though, there, there has been some news and I feel like it's been such a weird week for Seahawks fans because you've had this the rumor stuff out there about oh Russell Wilson and you know he was uh, th- th- they were talking about trading Russell Wilson for, uh-huh. to the Browns for draft picks and the Browns had the number 1 pick that year and then you have Quentin Dunbar that he gets uh, you know they have the warrant ar- out for his arrest and then you know you look at the police report and you're like holy smokes this guy what is he doing robbing people and then right. just a day later his lawyer is coming out and saying oh yeah everybody who said that he was robbing people they all changed their stories now and and there's one other person who's been consistent with their story the whole time and and now huh. he goes from saying from being there to having left before this even all took place. And yeah, it's just it's been a wild week, man. Well, don't forget uh, our guy, Earl Thomas, too. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I hate to even bring up. And, and Lofa and I talked about it on our show this week. It either played with these guys or coached these guys or is around these guys. And obviously you know, was an incredible athlete himself. And it, 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 was, it was weird for me to kind of bring it up. And Lofa was just like, look, man, like these are my guys. I, I, you know, I can't really speak on it. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. Um, it was interesting to hear his perspective, uh, being a player and stuff. Um, and, and it was interesting to talk to him about it, but yeah, it's, it's been a, it's, it's, it's amazing that the Seahawks can continue to be sort of the source of drama in the league even though there's no games or anything going on <laughs> yeah i feel like anytime that there needs to be some drama it's oh bring up how russell wilson is overrated or bring up how right you know, or even think back to a couple years ago when they were bringing up the richard sherman trade rumors it's like sure, just because sure. i feel like john schneider he he comes out he's so consistent with his answer every time that a player is being talked about getting traded and he's like oh yeah well we talked to everybody about all of our players and and so that doesn't do anything to diffuse any of those rumors out there and and it almost allows there to be to be credence to it even though you know with a guy like russell wilson even if they're talking about trading the first overall pick and the fourth overall pick i i I don't think that would have been enough to get a player of russell wilson's caliber no it what no it shouldn't be enough uh and also you know lofa was saying on our show that when when I, i we were talking about this same thing and he was saying uh that he 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 was saying, well, this has to have been leaked by some other team in the NFC West. This this whole thing because it because like you just said, and and Lofa expanded on it, it, it. General managers, coaches, they're talking about players all the time. That's what they do. That's their business. They sit around and uh, probably come up with hypothetical trades and contracts and things all the time because you'd be silly not to you should always have your head on a swivel to use a football term right and always be seeking opportunities so 
I mean, it kind of, it should surprise us if they weren't shopping him around to see what kind of value they could get for him and see if there's something out there. Because if some team's willing to, you know, sell the farm, so to speak, right? You you'd have to listen to that. And I think us as fans, we should want our executives in front office to always be looking to make the team better, regardless of what that move is. And then, you know, obviously if they make the move and it doesn't work out, we can yell at them and come after them on Twitter with our pitchforks, you know, and rightfully so. But we don't want our team to just sit there complacent, do we? No, absolutely not. I mean, if if the Cowboys would have been happy having Herschel Walker on their team mm-hmm. for years and years and years, they probably never would have become the Cowboys that were you know, that generational team you know, because right. it was that trade that allowed them to get Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith and you know so many of those other great players on that uh, early '90s dynasty. So um, if that trade is out there and John Schneider's comfortable that knowing that if you trade a guy like Russell Wilson, that there's another quarterback. If if say the Patrick Mahomes year. You know, if, if he would have been able to trade Russell, get Patrick Mahomes and get like, you know, a pass rusher and get you know, a solid offensive lineman for years and years to come where you can be pretty confident that this is going to build your team for, you know, far beyond what Russell Wilson may have provided. Then then that's the thing that I would like my general manager to actually think about. Yeah, it's hard as a fan, of course. And we would all go through a moment of like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And I hope this works out. And right. Of course. And that's all understandable. But for anyone to sit here and say, oh, that's crazy. They should never even be, you know, mentioning Russell Wilson's name on the phone with a GM. It's like, uh, no, I, I think anyone's tradable, like you just said. I mean, imagine that, the Patrick Mahomes thing. You Russell would be just getting to the part where he's getting to be very expensive, right? Mm-hmm. And you could then draft a Mahomes, sign him to a rookie deal, and then get a bunch more players next to him because you're getting him for so much cheaper, and he's just as talented, if not more or less, whatever it is. That only makes sense, you know? I mean, look at Tom. I mean, dude, Tom Brady's on the Buccaneers. <laughs> right. That's weird. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to think of Russell Wilson playing for another team right now either, no, especially either. since he's signed no. long term. And, and actually, you know, with this being this goes right into uh, this whole underdog week discussion, because when I thought about it, my favorite underdog player to suit up for the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, he, he fits that mold perfectly because mm. I mean, is there if, from the current era, is there a more lovable underdog? I I I have a hard time thinking of one I, because you look at the where where Russell Wilson was drafted in the third round. I mm-hmm. went back, Brett, and I looked at the the six or seven years of quarterbacks starting in 2010 of guys who were taken in, in the third round. And you're talking about guys like Colt McCoy, Ryan Mallett, uh, Nick Foles, Mike Glennon, Sean Mannion and Jacoby Brissett. And so and when you hear those names, you think of, oh, well, there's some guys who have been in the league. And, you know, even Nick Foles, he he won a Super Bowl. It was as, as a backup quarterback. And a lot of these guys are backup quarterbacks for the most part. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and so for Russell Wilson to come out of that group and be, you know, one of the top candidates, I, I saw that uh, the graphic going around of from the first eight seasons, he's only behind Peyton Manning and Dan Marino for touchdown passes in their first eight Who? seasons. Who? Who's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never heard of, never yeah, heard of those Peyton guys. Manning, Dan Marino. Oh, you know, they're just, you know, <laughs> Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So no big yeah. deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, not just not just the the quarterbacks in the third round, though, too, like you said, but also the quarterbacks that were taken ahead of him. I mean, Andrew Luck and RG3 are both out of the league, aren't they? If, if RG3 is not, he probably will be soon unless he can really, you know, in 
become a backup somewhere. Someone gets hurt. He goes in and sets the world on fire. But so we say all the time on our show, like if you had to redo that draft right now, you'd probably take Russell Wilson number one overall. Oh, you've done that that too. Yeah, it would be terrible. Uh, So, you know, um, I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously we think the world of the guy and stuff and it would be insane if, if a move got made involving him, um, hopefully it would just be the right move and lead to more winning. And, uh, you know, we, we wish Russ well and stuff like that. Hopefully it's not a move that, you know, like, like the chargers made with Drew Brees where they let him go and then they have to watch him win for the next decade plus somewhere else. You know, that, that would be obviously yeah catastrophic. So, well, it takes me back to some of those underdogs and we we're mentioning the, the earlier eras of the teams. And I know the era that I grew up with, with and it was just the tail end of the Dave Craig and Steve Largent eras. And they, uh, I, I feel like they kind of embrace that underdog role too. You had Dave Craig who came out of Milton college, which isn't even <laughs> a college anymore. Right, and right. you know, he was an undrafted guy. You had Steve Largent well, taking over for Jim Zorn from Cal Poly Pomona. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> the Seahawks have always been sort of the bad news bears of the NFL. Yeah. Haven't they? yeah. Well, it's Steve Largent, you know, he was about right. to be cut from the Houston Oilers. When the Seahawks said, oh, hey, we'll give you an eighth round draft pick next year to bring Steve Crazy. Largent. And and he ended up becoming, you know, the Hall of Famer that uh, the, the Seahawks first true Hall of Famer. I, I mean, I'm, that might be one of the best or like uh, most lopsided or, or crazy trades in sports history. Right. Getting a Hall of Famer for an eighth round draft pick. Right. I mean, that's. Is that something you'd be interested in? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost like the Mariners trading for Randy Johnson, you know, back in the day. Uh, it's, there, right. There's just not not too many trades where you feel so good about it. Or, you sure. know, Ken Phelps going to uh, New York for Jay Buhner. I mean, there's yeah. been a few of those in the Seattle uh, history. But I think, you know, an eighth round pick for Steve Largent has to be about there at the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's a steal of a deal right there. If you haven't subscribed yet, check out Brett's show, Believe in Seahawks, B-L-E-A-V in Seahawks. We're going to come right back, and Brett and I are going to talk about the players who deserve more love, whether it's from a fan perspective or the national media, and which former Seahawks players have been overlooked by the Hall of Fame. All that coming up next. Moving on through the offseason as we get closer to the end of May, Brett Davern is joining me on the show. Let's move on to some Seahawks players who we feel deserve more love from the fans than, okay. than they probably get credit for. And, you know, a guy in the current era that I, I tend to think of is Jermaine Curse, who is just a part of so many big plays. But, you know, the Seahawks fans were kind of down on him there. He had, gosh, think back to the 2014 NFC Championship game where, you know, Russell was throwing it his way, ends up getting uh, Russell ends <laughs> up with four interceptions in that game. But then Curse yeah. goes and catches the the game winning uh, reception at, to, to seal the game and send the Seahawks back to their second straight Super Bowl. So. Um, he's one of those. Are, are there any guys that you think of? Um, well, I was going to say that's a good one. But the, the thing with Jermaine Curse and look, I mean, he brought us a Super Bowl and some big plays. And I mean, made that insane catch at the end of the game, at the end of the Super Bowl against the Patriots that might have been better than the, um, oh, what's his name? David Tyree catch. If that <laughs> right. if that goes on to be a Seahawk win and, you know, we don't have to get into that because we'll both probably start crying. But uh 
Jermaine Curse. I think the thing with with Seahawks fans and Jermaine Curse is that we a lot of Seahawks fans also watched him at UW, uh, mm. you know, before he got to the Seahawks. And the thing with Jermaine is, is that he would make these amazing big catches in big moments, but then he would also have some pretty ugly drops yeah. in some big moments. And so there was a little bit of that inconsistency from him. So I think that's why he doesn't really get maybe remembered the way that he should. But I mean, every time you start talking about him, you just kind of go like, oh yeah, that guy was great. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you even go back to the Super Bowl. He had, I think, a third down catch that was a catchable ball that he dropped that, you know, if they keep that drive going earlier on in the game, maybe the Patriots don't end up retaking the yeah. lead in that game. So yeah, I, I understand uh, some of the, the confliction that goes on but with it's Curse. A good, it's a great unsung hero, though, because he had just some amazing Seahawk moments as well. One guy for me that I feel like he doesn't get enough love from Seahawks fans, and maybe it's it because of the era that he came out of, but Chris Warren. I mean, he was one of my favorite mm. running backs growing up. And yeah. a guy who for so long held so many of the Seahawks rushing records, of course, until Sean Alexander came along. But right. uh, being from that era... You know, he really was the Seahawks offense, and it's just he never had a quarterback uh, in that time, and it, so it was kind of his show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a that's a great one. You know, I was thinking the other day, kind of more modern, I was thinking about Russell Okun. Mm. I mean, coming in after Walter Jones, having to sort of fill the shoes of, you know, a Hall of Famer, probably the greatest left tackle to ever play the game. And it's not like Okung, obviously, is Walter Jones. No. But, I mean, held up that side of the line pretty well and helped us win that Super Bowl and was an anchor on the line for a while, right? And then had some good seasons after that. I think that's an unsung guy that I don't hear talked about all that often. No, and that's a good point. And I think it does, it it goes along with that idea of kind of having somebody that you're you're filling the shoes that kind of overshadows that position a little bit. Yeah, and, yeah. totally. Yeah, I feel like that's part of the, it's always going to be a little unfair for Shaq Griffin, I think, mm. a little bit uh, because of, you know, t- being sort of the tie over between the Legion of Boom and whatever comes next. Um, he's always going to be kind of compared to them, maybe unfairly a little bit, but has been obviously a solid player. Um, but he's probably not Richard Sherman, or at least not yet. You know what I mean? Right. Another guy who kind of comes to mind for me, and it's interesting because Lofa brought his name up on the show last week, is KJ Wright. You know, 128 games as a Seahawks linebacker. And because he's been behind Bobby Wagner, who's a future Hall of Famer, and because he was part of the Legion of Boom era, I feel like KJ Wright, you know, 128 games as a Seahawks linebacker. There's only one guy, Keith Butler, who has played more games at linebacker than KJ has. And so, I mean, there's only a handful of guys that have started more than 100 games at linebacker. So, um, And and KJ, such big moments for the Seahawks, too. I mean, just... The, the Super Bowl run obviously doesn't happen without him. The the run to the Patriots Super Bowl doesn't happen without him. I'm, the Legion of Boom, I mean, the, that's the thing. The secondary and the Legion of Boom, they get so much of the publicity because Richard and, and, and you know, <laughs> they're making a lot of quotes out there and things like that. But the linebacking core with Bobby and KJ and then whoever else they kind of keep bringing in, those, I mean, that tandem of Bobby and KJ is probably one of the best linebacking duos in NFL history for sure. They'd be on the list, I'd say. Yeah, yeah And, uh, you know, KJ or uh, Bobby gets most of the headlines, but KJ, yeah, I mean, he's 
He's his uh, Scotty Pippen for sure. I, I think he's just too quiet of a guy. You know, if he was yeah. like, uh, if he had the personality of Richard Sherman, I, I feel like more people would probably know him. And and maybe those linebackers would have been, have you know, much more of an identity of the Legion of Boom where, you know, it seemed like it was the guys in the secondary that were getting most of the attention. Yeah, I think you're right about that. KJ seems like a pretty mild-mannered kind of guy. One one that comes to mind for me, speaking of linebackers, and Lofa brings them up all the time because I know they're, they're besties, uh, Leroy Hill yeah. from back in Lo, uh, Lofa's day. You know, uh, Leroy, amazing player. Uh, again, right next to Lofa for all those years, good linebacking tandem, and um, was a guy who, unlike Lofa, because Lofa was taken like the second round, and then Leroy was drafted that same year and, and didn't get a chance to start right away, but somebody got injured and he got in there. And then, you know, he stayed in that spot for, I mean, almost a decade, right? I mean, he for, for a second there, he was the last player from that Pittsburgh Super Bowl that was still on the team, I think. So, I mean, he was there forever and just always making plays. Yeah, and he was, he was just three short of 100 games at linebacker, too. And, wow. you know, yeah. there for that whole 2005 up until 2012. So, yeah, a, a big part uh, of the Seahawks linebacking history for sure. Yeah, yeah. We've had a lot of good undrafted guys, too, over the years, yeah. the Seahawks have, um, who, who've played huge roles. I mean, well, you mentioned Jermaine Curse, uh, but Max Strong comes to mind for me mm-hmm. um that doug baldwin, you know, of course uh oh, you know, oh, undrafted gosh. yeah doug baldwin i mean well that you know right like it's funny because you brought up russell as being as being an underdog uh and and i totally agree with you on that uh but doug same kind of thing i mean just like a shorter guy you know um just probably seen as like a little too slow and all that kind of stuff didn't really get the love coming out of college obviously went undrafted but I mean, just tough as nails and a leader and all the things that you'd want. He's probably one of my favorite uh, sort of under the radar guys, you know, because I think he just had to kind of cut it a little too short. You know, I think that one or two more seasons and um, I think he wouldn't be just only as remembered by Seahawks fans as he's going to be. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I feel like, unfortunately, he might fade a little bit in terms of like a lot of NFL fans minds, but he shouldn't because he was awesome. But uh, if he would have just had a few more years, you know, he was just getting to that point of national yeah. recognition and, and being invited to pro bowls back to back years. And, and I, I think he could have been like a Steve Smith type of guy. Sure. Uh, if he, you know, also a guy who wore number 89, but um, yeah. you know, with a little more time in the NFL and, um, yeah, it's a it's a bummer. He had to leave so early. I'm excited though. I mean, I think I think it's one of those things where who knows? I, of course, I'm just speculating here, but maybe he could have made some sort of rehab and come back and tried it. But in today's day and age, like why press it? And he's just he's such a smart guy. He's so great in the community and everything. He's probably got so much more to give off the field. Not more than he than he could have given on the field, but just he has more to give. And so why not just, uh, you know, and I don't, I, I'm not one of those fans who like begrudges guys that, you know, like I don't need the guys that I'm rooting for to not, you know, be able to walk someday or something for my entertainment. You know, I mean, Doug gave us so many amazing memories and gave us all of himself and it's, I'm cool with him walking away when he did. And, uh, 
I think I'm excited to see what he does next. Well, and if you think about it too, with Sidney Rice uh, leaving yeah. the NFL and Doug Baldwin came in as a rookie with Sidney Rice kind of being the leader of that wide receiver group and watching him, you know, go out after concussions. And I, mm-hmm. I'm sure Doug Baldwin saw that and said, Hey, you know what? I don't need to be the greatest wide receiver ever. I've, I've had a great NFL career. I'm able to do so much things now after, you know, why necessarily push it when I've accomplished, you know, so many things winning a Super Bowl and realizing that there's a lot more out there to, to do, you know, beyond just football. Yeah. And pretending to poop out the ball in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yes. Don't forget. No, no, never forget that. Is <laughs> the greatest of- the greatest neighborhood touchdown celebration ever performed <laughs> uh during a NFL game ever. Yeah. And on the biggest stage too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? And it just probably will never get enough play. Uh yeah. No, no, they cut away from that thing right away. Well, Brett, let's close this off with a Seahawks player eligible for the Hall of Fame. Who should be in? Because I feel like for Seahawks fans, mm. you know, once Kenny Easley got in, yeah. a lot of us said, okay, we're good because he was just far and away, you know, having that defensive player of the year season, having his career cut short due to injuries, and a guy that, you know, so many other players like Ronnie Lott from the 49ers of that era looked up to. And so now that he's in, I, I feel like there's no next clear-cut guy for a lot of fans, but I have an idea in my mind of who I think it should be. It's got to be Jacob Green. Uh, Lofa and I were just talking about this a few episodes ago, this this very thing. Um, because for some reason, at the beginning of Jacob Green's career, they they weren't keeping track of sacks as an official stat. Right. And so it's kind of unclear how many sacks he has. Uh, but I've done some research on Wikipedia and, you know, <laughs> take Wikipedia for what it's worth. Uh, but, I mean, they there's some people that have him, if they would have been recording sacks, have him, you know, easily in the top 10 of all time in sacks. Uh, you know, he went to a couple all pros, I think, or a couple pro bowls. Maybe you have it there in front of you, but uh, for me, it's gotta be Jacob green. He was a two time pro bowler and he had double digit sack years every year from 83 to 86. Now he never made all pro, but that's because of the guys who were in the NFL that time. I mean, we're, we're talking sure. about the era of Lawrence Taylor. And, yeah. you know, so he was he was the all pro guy every single year at first team. So, I mean, Jacob Green, though, was like the uh, number three or four guy in terms of right. sacks about that time. So I definitely look at him and I think of a guy who's kind of been passed over and flew under the radar because of some of the great players from that era. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just uh, a victim of like, like we said, like the, just the time he played in there when they weren't keeping track of it. And. You know, like, you know, Sports Center wasn't what it was. Twitter wasn't what it was. The NFL even was, is, wasn't what it is now and getting as much headlines. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's a guy who should get some consideration from the, whatever they call it, the veteran the committee veteran or committee, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, they, they, the senior they, committee, yeah. they got to put him in. Who, who you got? Well, normally as Seahawks fans, you know, we're quick to point out when one of our own has been disrespected. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and since 1980, when the NFL started awarding one MVP for the entire league, Sean Alexander's the only running back to win MVP who isn't in the Hall of Fame, except for Adrian Peterson. But he's we, we know he's going to be in the in the Hall of Fame. He's, and he's yeah, he hasn't been retired. Right, 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 right. So Sean Alexander is he's the guy. I mean, almost yeah. almost 10,000 rushing yards. He had 100 rushing touchdowns. 
over 1,500 receiving yards, 12 receiving TDs. He had the MVP. He had that 2005 season where he had 28 touchdowns. Yes, the offensive line, we all know having two Hall of Famers on the left side was a big help. But I think back to that 2005 season and really that stretch that he went on from probably 2003 through 2005, where as if you handed Sean Alexander the ball and the Seahawks were in the red zone, he was going to find a way to score. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, look, Matt Hasselbeck would be casting his vote for Sean Alexander right now, for sure. I mean, he won a lot of games for us. Um, I, it's funny, Sean Alexander, it's like he, he, I don't know, he gets no respect for some reason from, from 12s. I don't know why. Well, it's because I, of the, you know it, it's because of the contract. It's, it's because yeah. after that MVP year, you know, they had to pay him. Well, they yeah. didn't have to pay him, but I mean, it, it would have been. he just seemed to get tackled all the time right after that, right? Like, or very easily. And, he had the foot injury not too yeah. long after that. And yeah. so I think that that really impacted him in his kind of a, in that he, he just was never the same after the foot injury. Do you think, uh, yeah, he was right. I know. I, it's funny because in my mind, I can picture like a few really ugly Sean Alexander plays and more than I can picture like the amazing ones because he, he never had the, the beast quake moment, you know, um, his, his touchdowns, he scored a lot of them, but they just kind of, they were, I don't know. They look like a lot of touchdown runs for whatever reason. It, 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 he's getting dinged for no style points, maybe, or something. And that's definitely unfair to him. I think it is a little bit unfair, too, especially when you have people talking about, oh, how well, Frank Gore is going to get into the Hall of Fame because uh-huh. of longevity. You have Curtis Martin in who uh, was big because of longevity. You had Terrell Davis, who just got in recently. And, you know, Sean Alexander's stats put him up against Terrell Davis, who, yeah, TD, he also had an MVP season and he had a Super Bowl MVP. But yeah. I, I think if, say, say the Seahawks win that 2005 Super Bowl and Sean Alexander's the MVP of that game, I mean, does that even, even with everything else staying the same, does that give him enough to, to be MVP? I know it took Davis 11 years to get in, but. I think, yeah, I think that would have would have gotten him in i don't think he would have been first ballot i think a super bowl victory and definitely a super bowl mvp to go along with the regular season mvp i mean i think it'd be pretty hard to deny that i think maybe sean alexander's issue when it comes to the hall of fame or even with seahawk fans is you know uh maybe like we were saying earlier he's just too nice of a guy and personality wise like he doesn't he just doesn't kind of stick out like Marshawn does or like Doug Baldwin did or Richard Sherman or whatever these guys that get all the headlines and say something maybe outrageous or get super passionate about something like maybe I mean Sean just needs a better publicist you know maybe Terrell Davis has a better publicist I'm, I'm saying as Seahawks fans Brett we we need to be his publicist now and, <laughs> I know and, but we kind of and... can't because we watched him lay down so easily for at least two seasons after that MVP season and like it just I don't know it just it, it just rubs too many people the wrong way but do you th- okay do you think Seahawks fans would forgive uh like I don't know who who's who's someone else that we might need to forgive in the future like uh Earl for flipping off the team as he was sure. carted off uh like if he goes into the Hall of Fame, which he probably should. Sherman for going to San Francisco. <laughs> um, yeah, Richard for going to San Francisco, who's probably going to be a Hall of Famer as well. Are we as 12s going to forgive those dudes? Um, because the way they left wasn't super graceful, much in the way that Sean, the way that Sean left. Or, you know, I don't know. 
I don't know. That's We're what I mean. I, I'm fickle sometimes. I need to get uh, all the Seahawks fans on board with this idea of of Sean being disrespected from the entire NFL, being the only MVP who's not in the Hall of Fame. So I I, I feel like if we can coalesce just around that point, then, then maybe like we it. can get I Sean can, into the Hall of I Fame. I can get behind you with it if Sean also then gets maybe a little louder about himself and stuff or whatever he needs to do to to get himself in there. I think he's just you know he's just a really he just seems like a really just nice guy who's not going to get in front of too many cameras. And he, he, you know, he hasn't had a broadcasting career or anything like that afterwards. You know, like, you know, those guys who get in the booth and then because their co-host announces them as like future Hall of Famer, right. <laughs> it seems like they get a little extra boost maybe sometimes, you know. Uh, Sean just has never had that. Well, let's, um, let's start this campaign, Brett, because you know, right. you've got Lofa on your show. I'm sure there's a contact there. I know Sean's done podcasts. He's had his own podcasts over the years. So now this, this might be the start of the ramp for it. I got to tell you, I've brought up Sean on, on, on our show and, and gotten Lofa's thoughts on him and stuff. And Lofa, of course, says nothing but nice things to say about him. And, and, and because he was, he was a great player and he's a great dude. Um, it's just like you said, there's just. I don't know. There's just something about the way it ended that will always stick with us. It was. And I I, I felt it too. And I, I feel like it's, I, I want to put it behind me. <laughs> well, even the, even when they gave him the MVP that year, didn't it just kind of feel like the writers and everybody who voted, they were kind of going like, eh, I guess, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't like definitive even because it was him and Ladanian Thomason, right? Going back and forth and so even that didn't feel so cut yeah. and dry. And he got he got the touchdown record before LT got the record. Right. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. It just I don't know. <laughs> he gets no respect. <laughs> but he should. You're he right. Should. He should. And and we can all start standing up for our guy. All right. He's Brett Davern from the Believe in Seahawks podcast. What do you guys, What are you and Lofa talking about on on your latest show? Well, you know, it's it, with no games and no practices and no facilities. And it's like, you know, but we're talking about uh, we talked about the Michael Jordan documentary a little bit and our memories of Jordan and got Lofa's perspective on what it would be like to be playing with such a demanding player and how these young millennial whippersnappers who are playing nowadays would have put up with a guy like that. So it was interesting to get his perspective on that. And then we touched on the Quentin Dunbar drama and stuff and uh yeah that was that was this week's episode oh and the russell trade rumors of Mm -hmm. course we we went over that and uh and then going forward it's all about just continuing to grow this thing you know we haven't been doing it near as long as you have and and some other people have and uh i just want to say like i we just we appreciate the support so much and and you guys welcoming us to the community here and um you know we'll just keep supporting each other and and trying to Keep moving ahead and doing this thing and having fun, you know? Definitely go and hit subscribe on the Believe in Seahawks podcast. Brett, appreciate you coming on. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks once again to Brett for coming on the show. If you're looking for more Seahawks content, hop on over to fieldgoals.com. Seahawks have their 2020 preseason schedule released. The dates are set and times. Seahawks have three Thursday games in the preseason, one game on Saturday. Check out which ones are which up at fieldgoals.com. Also, Mookie Alexander has an article about Quentin Dunbar. He pled not guilty to the armed robbery charges today. And also check out Alistair Corp as he previews the position battles on the defense after the draft. He goes position by position and looks at which spots are going to have the biggest battles. Check it all out, fieldgoals.com. Subscribe to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. 
and I will be back later this week talking more Seahawks football. Until then, go Hawks.